Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. All right, everybody, welcome to this week's episode. A big happy 4th of July to all the fellow Americans out there. Gentlemen, I know I'm Canadian, but I'm soon to be American, so I can celebrate as well. Glad you could get with the program. Yeah, we're we're glad to have you. (laughs) Thanks. You guys welcome me with open arms. I love it. Uh, So today we actually have a special guest uh, by the name of Nate Castaneda. He's a a rock star in the mud world and the warehousing world. Uh, Nate, you're our U.S. operations manager, right? That is correct. I know. I mean, you've recently you've been promoted uh, a lot over the last few years, so it's hard to keep up with your fancy titles. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, we actually we met back in uh, actually I think it was 2012. I was running mud up in Pennsylvania, and you were the West Decatur warehouse manager, right? That's correct. Yeah. So, and you lived. Were you living in Pennsylvania at the time, or where were you living? I was. I was living back in Pennsylvania back in 2009. Okay. And I think you were working out of Cannesburg as a tech first. Yeah. And then you transitioned into the field. But yeah, I was out of West Decatur and that's where it all started. Yeah. No, I always had to, uh, I gave you a lot of props as a mud engineer. I mean, I know anytime I needed something, you knew I was kind of fresh to the to mud engineer life and, and you helped me out significantly. So, and uh, yeah, I appreciate that because, you know, run synthetic, you know, everything, every drop counts and uh, logistics up there was always challenging, especially with, you know, road, you know, just, just the, the, the challenges getting to the rig, the time it took. So, uh, yeah, you uh, you hit it out of the park up there and continued to progress in, uh, within AES, uh, which is now, you know, where you're at. But uh, again, we uh, wanted to get you on the show. We thought it would be important to talk about, uh, you know, a little bit of logistics and, and mud plants in general. I mean, that's a huge part of our business. Uh, it, it's, you know, it's the lifeline of, of uh, the mud engineers. Sort of, it's, it's their back pocket and without good operations, infrastructure, logistical efficiencies um mm-hmm. we wouldn't be nearly as successful so uh my hat's off to you and your group um you guys have done a great job and wanted to get you on to talk a little bit about that and uh, your experience and and kind of what you know how we bring value through uh operations and warehousing so uh glad you could come be a part of it yeah thanks for having me uh we certainly pride ourselves on the service that we offer uh but it is certainly a group effort uh not only by myself or even warehouse personnel, but we have a lot of help here in Houston as well uh, for not only, you know, one certain region, but for all regions. So I'm glad to be here. Cool. And uh, before we get into, because I want to talk about your background and get a little bit more into some details, but uh, for everyone out there listening, if you'd like to support the show, please subscribe and do us a huge favor to take a few minutes and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Any feedback is welcome and appreciated, good or bad. Uh, let's talk about this week's review. It comes from John David Willeman. John, appreciate the shout out. Uh, he said, this podcast breaks down the fundamentals and drilling fluids for everyday average Joe to understand. Um, and another, uh, we actually had, so we had released the, the SAG, uh, episode and we had a gentleman by the name of Randy reach out and he provided a great story about his experience with SAG. And I'm not going to go into the details because it's pretty long, but, uh, he told us a story and and it's neat to hear some of the things that we talk about here in the office, uh, you know, in the field, get, you know, it, things like this happen. And uh, so any good stories, please share them with us. Uh, it's, you know, it's always gives us an opportunity to learn as well. So uh, 
Nate, why don't you start off with, you know, what was Nate's life like before the oil field and how did you actually get into the oil field and are now, you know, heading up our operations here? So, uh, funny story, and I think you're you're aware of it, but not a lot of people are aware of it, but I actually started off in the funeral business. Okay. Yeah. yeah I do remember that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I remember so, the story. Uh, I was and still am a licensed funeral director. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, uh, of course, inactive. I don't have time to, to do that anymore, but... My dad is actually a funeral director, been a funeral director for 35 years. So it's been in my family for quite a long time and it was second nature for me. Um, but I was ready to transition from that industry over to another industry. Uh, I had a friend of mine who was a mud engineer um, for another operator, for another service company. And um, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go into mud engineering. Um, I, I knew I wanted to go into the oil industry. Uh, so what I did was I actually went to go work on a rig. Nice. And so I started at the at the bottom as a floor hand. Uh, I worked on a rig for almost two years. And when I left, I left as a derrick hand. Okay. Where was that? I was in Texas? In Texas, South Texas. Yeah. Shout out H&P 231. Nice. <laughs> there you go. Heck yeah. yeah. One thing I think that's really cool, and this is a common story with a lot of our, our leadership now, is that they started out on a rig at kind of, I don't want to say the, the lowest levels, because that's not the right way to describe it, but started out on the ground floor. Um, and so when you have somebody kind of helping to make decisions, who's kind of been there, yeah. it's just really neat because there's, there's a lot of understanding of what's really going on at, at the detailed level. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I, obviously I've learned a lot over the last um, years that I've been with AES, but being able to work on a rig and knowing what a flow line is, knowing what the shakers are, knowing what pulling slips is all about, knowing how to do a trip 24 hours, uh, pulling back pipe, um, you know, how to work on pumps. Those type of things go a long way. And even though we don't do those specific things today, as far as in the mud business, you know that when you get a call from a rig and they have issues, you kind of have an idea of what's going on out there. So it's beneficial to kind of know the background Yeah. Uh, to, to kind of know what the, uh, what the needs are to help them out. Right. Would you say uh, to like, having that experience, would that be your biggest takeaway from having the rig experience? Um, and second part of that question is, how did, how did that develop you from just dealing with people in general? I mean, would you say that that kind of helped build the fundamentals with dealing with rig hands and people throughout the industry? Oh, yeah. So, uh, and, and going back to my funeral business industry, yeah. uh, you know, obviously dealing with people is your primary function, especially, you know, when you deal with people at the lowest part of their lives. Yeah. So, uh, dealing with people has always kind of been second nature for me. Um, and, of course, going on to a rig and having to deal with a company man or a tool pusher, uh, yeah, very, very beneficial um, to learn how to deal with that. And, of course, as an engineer, you're having to deal with derrick hands um, and, and associate with that. But, but yeah, being a derrick hand, and, and that's kind of how I transitioned into um, AES, formerly F FMI, when I was on board. But, um, you know, getting samples, running mud checks, you know, as a derrick hand, when it wasn't my responsibility, but that's how I learned, and that's how I transitioned from the rig over to uh, the old, the oil industry or, or the mud industry. Mud industry. So did you work for another service company before FMI or did you jump right? No, from straight HMP? from HMP over to FMI and started off as a mud engineer trainee and worked in the field for over a year before transitioning kind of into operations. Okay. Yeah. Nice. And now where did you run mud at? Uh, South Texas. South Texas. Yeah. Nice. So, I mean, it was big wells. I mean, we TD with 18 pound mud every so often took a lot of kicks. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, um, Great experience. Uh, did a lot of work in South Texas, transferred uh, up to the Barnett mm -hmm. uh, during that big uh, boom they had up there for uh, uh, 
uh, in North Texas. And from there uh, is where I eventually transitioned into operations. Gotcha. And what year was that that you went up to? You went to West Decatur right away? Right. So I started with the company in 2008. Um, and then towards the latter end of 2009 is when I transferred up to PA uh, to West Decatur. That's when the Marcellus was starting to become real big. Right. Um, started off at West Decatur. We had a temporary location. We had three rigs when I arrived. Yeah. Um, it was bare bones. We didn't really know if it was the right move to go into that area. Uh, but sooner uh, than later, we started to pick up more and more rigs, and I was there for two years. Uh, and by the time I left within that two-year span, we went from three rigs to close to 40. Wow. <laughs> so uh, we, we had a pretty big uh, increase, uh, but it was good to learn from, you know, from three rigs going to 40 and kind of growing as the rigs came in and learning how to adjust and accommodate more and more work. Right. So, uh, once you cut your teeth up there, then you do come back down to Houston or you kind of bounce around? <laughs> no, I, so I, when I went to PA in 2009, I actually stayed a total of just about five and a half years. Okay. Uh, and I was in West Decatur for two. Uh, and as, uh, as the work went on, we started to see the shift to Western Pennsylvania for the Utica shell. And we opened up a temporary location in Western PA uh, and when we knew that we had a pretty promising uh, future, we went ahead and built a, t a permanent uh, location out of our Benwood facility in West Virginia. So, um, so yeah, so I was supposed to go up there temporarily for a couple of weeks, ended up staying <laughs> for about five and a half years. That but was a standard FMI way. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 I learned the hard way, but that's, that's the way we did things, but it paid off. Nice. It certainly paid off. Cool. And uh, so then following that, where did you go after the Northeast? After the Northeast, uh, I transitioned to Houston office, um, basically became an operations manager uh, and strictly looked over the Northeast here out of Houston, uh, kind of on a macro level um, uh, that way. And eventually after, the, after a year or so here in Houston, I, I was fortunate enough to be promoted into the U.S. operations manager. And, um, and yeah, here I sit today. Cool. Well, that's one of the neat things too, about our companies. We have fellows like yourself that, um, you know, both ladies and gentlemen that are, they're in, you know, mid to upper level management that are, that are young, driven, um, that have the experience room to grow. Um, and yeah. it's cool to see, especially for a lot of the young mud engineers out there and young folks that we have, you know, within our organization, it's motivating to see guys like yourself in those kind of roles. So, uh, I commend you for all the hard work you've done and, and for, you know, how you've brought in our company up. And, um, like you said, it's been a great team effort, but, uh, let, let's get a little bit more into the details. Cause I know a lot of people out there understand, you know, that you hear the term mud plant and, you know, uh, your yard and things like that. So, uh, I'm gonna, I'd like to ask a little bit more about that specifically. So for the folks out there who don't understand, how would you describe what a mud plant is? So obviously mud plants vary from region to region. I, I think it's mainly based on how much work you have at that facility to, to depend on how large of a mud plant or a facility that you have. Right. Uh, but primarily function is, you know, we have uh, mixing pits where we actually blend the mud and we have storage tanks. So uh, typical, typically what happens is we get set up, we get orders from the rig, whether they want sack material or, or drilling fluid. Uh, we take those orders, um, we manage the sack material out of our warehouse location, and any mud orders that come in, uh, depending upon what the specs that are being requested, uh, we build mud. So, uh, you know, there's certain components that go into, into 
uh, drilling fluid, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you guys have covered over y'all's previous podcast. But right. um, basically, we create you know recipes there at the mud plant level, uh, whether that be from a warehouse manager or from a uh, warehouse engineer. Mm-hmm. We hand that sheet over to our mud plant operators. They take that uh, that recipe, and they basically go step by step and and build mud per spec. Right. And when you say build, uh, folks are familiar with like, say, mixing mud at, at a rig. Mm-hmm. Um, is it similar to where you have agitators and hoppers to where you have the chemical, you mix it in and, and it yeah. circulates? And Good stuff? question. So we're a lot more efficient at the mud plant. Um, obviously at the rig, you know, you can only build so much on location. Uh, you can't build nearly the capacity that we have at the mud plant. I mean, we're built to build mud. Right. At the warehouse, I mean, at the, at the rig site, um, you know, you got your slug and pit where you're trying to build volume and, and insert it as you go. Um, but we have a little bit more capacity to build, um, not only more amounts, but it's easier for us to, to weight up mud to certain mud weights. Uh, and mud weights vary all the way from a slurry all the way up to, we built as high as a 195 uh, mud weight. Hmm. It's a little bit easier for us. I mean, we're, we're set up to build uh specifically m- drilling fluid so it's a lot easier for the mud plant to build it build it in bulk and ship it out to the rig uh, and get it there to the rig a lot quicker than what they could build it on location right so would you say most uh, mud plants are they capable of doing water-based and oil-based or is it area specific it's definitely area specific um we like to consider ourselves a true mud company mm-hmm. and you're here from our president himself you know you're not a true mud company unless you can build all water or are all drilling fluids so we like to be able to build water-based mud and oil-based mud whether that be diesel and synthetic right very cool uh how many people does it take to run a mud plant so it's uh again region specific uh people depend on rig count um you know we have a mud plant that has two people on it mm-hmm. and we have a mud plant that has uh probably 72 employees at one location so depending on upon the amount of work that we have also kind of compares to how many people you actually have there at the mud plant and some facilities are 24 hours some aren't some are basically on on-call basis it just depends on how busy you are at that region right so um one thing you mentioned a few different roles earlier um so when you need 72 people what does that look like what's kind of the most common roles at a mud plant that would require five people or 50 people. Okay. So on a larger level, um, so for West Texas, for instance, uh, at our one location in Kermit, we have 70 plus people on location. The majority of those roles uh, consist of mud plant operators and warehouse workers. It also uh, consists of a handful of uh, dispatchers and admins. So we got, you have a couple of higher uh, echelon levels as far as managers and assistant managers uh, and engineers on location. Um, but definitely at that location, it's certainly a group effort. It takes a lot of people, a lot of different roles, a lot of responsibility uh, to be able to get everything done. Uh, whereas in a smaller location, uh, you could have a warehouse manager and two mud plant operators who also are warehouse workers. They, they basically have dual roles. So, um, you know, there's no need to specify them to be in one area or the other. They can basically do everything. Um, so, again, it depends upon uh, the amount of work that you have um, to see how you're going to divvy up the work between your employees. 
Right. And certainly there's a lot at stake with respect to cost, accountability, quality control, tracking. So on the administrative side, as you mentioned, dispatchers to manage logistics. Yep. Um, how, what is the weight of the material that I took on? Um, a whole lot to think about there. Could you describe that a little bit further? Yeah. So I definitely have to give credit to our dispatchers. Um, you know, dispatcher is a very simple term, but it's a very difficult uh, task. Uh, you know, they not only dispatch trucks, but they're the primary uh, source when it comes to phone calls coming in, whether that be from the Houston office or whether that be from uh, from our local corporate office, from the from the mud engineers, from the field soups. Uh, they are they are the first person you talk to when you call that that warehouse, and they basically filter out who needs to go where. So they're also taking the calls or taking the orders. Uh, they're passing along the orders to uh, the managers, the warehouse engineers, um, and you know they're they're kind of uh, they kind of reroute where everything needs to go. Uh, as far as our admin assistants, um, they deal mostly with the Houston office and also our mud engineers. Uh, keep a track of inventory on location, well recaps. Um, just getting our tickets in order to make sure that we can bill properly and on time that gets filtered through our admins. Mm. Um, and yeah, of course our mud plant operators, you know, they're the ones who receive, um, the, the blends from our warehouse engineer and they do all a lot of the labor outside, uh, a lot of the hard work and same thing with the warehouse, uh, workers, they take all the sack loads um that are going out and also coming in you know i mean we ship a lot, a lot of material but we also have a lot of material that comes back to the warehouse there's a lot of restacking a lot of repalletizing um it is certainly an operation uh to make everything work right so with regards to quality control i mean with so much traffic in and out mud in and out uh how do you like keep track of of all of that so that uh, we have a great team, especially in West Texas. Uh, we have dedicated 24-hour uh, full tower warehouse mud engineers. They do a lot of coordinating of all the mud orders that come in. Um, so they create the blends. Um, they get those blends to the mud plant operators. Once every blend is completed, uh, there's a sample taken from every blend. Uh, Mud checks are, are, are done to ensure that the specs are in order. Mm-hmm. Um, and no mud leaves location until a mud check is done. And it is uh, verified by the warehouse engineer. Um, and at that point, then we can call trucks to come in and, and pick up the order and deliver that to the rig site. Makes sense. Uh, so we mentioned a little bit about Kermit, which is, which is pretty cool what we've done there over the last couple of years. But before we're getting into that... Uh, I mean, I remember when I started here, you know, we had a pretty good handful of warehouses and since then we've increased our, our capacity as a company. So starting up North where I know we've got, you know, the Northeast and we've got Midcom, but can you kind of, can you go over the one Then you don't have to get into detail, but yeah, just, just share again, how many warehouses we have and where they are. Yeah. So we actually, we have a total of, uh, 10 facilities. Uh, seven of those facilities actually have mud plants on them. Uh, some of those other, the other facilities just are, are yards for us to store a product at. Right. Um, but yeah, just to get a quick overview, we do have two locations in the Northeast. Uh, we have one warehouse in Oklahoma that services the Midcon region. And we have several here in uh, Texas to service, whether it be South Texas, North Texas, and West Texas. 
obviously West Texas being our, our heavy hitter at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at one point, um, our West Decatur location was our business location that we had in the company. Mm-hmm. And then our Pleasanton location um, took over that uh, uh, that reign after West Decatur and uh, was our business location during the Eagleford uh, boom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously today, uh, Kermit uh, holds a crown, uh, yeah. as we can say, um, in West Texas right now. So... Uh, we have a, a huge rig count um, and uh, a, a big a big personnel presence, whether that be at the warehouse or even in the West Texas region. Uh, but just to give a background on some of the expansion that we've done uh, in West Texas, um, so the main thing that we did, the main three things I'll, I'll highlight um, is our is our mud plant expansion. We went from just under twenty nine thousand, uh, just under thirteen thousand barrels of storage to about twenty nine thousand barrels of storage. So we over doubled our capacity uh, in that region. Um, the next thing we did was that we tripled the size of our rail spur. We went from about nine hundred feet of rail to twenty eight hundred feet of rail, okay. which has been huge. So how does that help? Like with having more rail, like what does that allow us to do? So uh, a, the the main uh, product that we get into uh, Kermit is is Bayrite. Okay, um, and that comes from SWP. That comes from our location in Corpus at SWP. Correct. Right. Um. So that kind of also leads me into our bulk terminal. So uh, the bulk terminal was the third part of the of the big expansion that we had in West Texas. So. Um, we have uh, four, 30, 350 ton Bayrite yeah. silos. You got to qualify this depending on your math. Um, <laughs> and me, me being on the marketing side, I think we said 300 was safe, but we know it can hold more. Yeah, it's 350 ton Bayrite yeah. silos. We got four of those installed. Four um, gigantic yes. Bayrite silos. Yes, yes. Nice. That you can see from a couple of miles down the way. Um, but basically the benefit of our rail spur was to be able to accommodate more rail cars and get more volume and more throughput through that facility. So, um, Bayright being probably our, other than mud is the main product that we, uh, ship in and out of that location. Um, but it, it is not only made to accommodate our, our bulk Bayrite, but, uh, we have some other plans to bring in some other products into into that location. This is just that's going to give us the ability to kind of expand and continue to grow in that area. Oh, cool! So there is plans. I mean, given the obviously the 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 demand, there's room to grow even further. Oh, absolutely, cool. absolutely. Nice. Yep. What um, what would you say the biggest challenge is? like starting a mud plant like because you've been involved with like kind of from the ground up going from in one area where we don't have much work to just expanding but what's it like what's the biggest challenge and what have you kind of lessons learned through that experience so i can tell you right now the biggest challenge when it comes to mud plant is personnel Mm -hmm. and that that especially uh pertains to west texas uh it's such a challenge right now and it's so competitive it's a competitive market for for people um you know, if you're a good hand, more than likely you got a job out there. Right. Uh, and even if you're a decent hand, you have a job out there. So trying to get good people in and uh, get them into our company and keep them is by far uh, one of the biggest challenges we have in that region, uh, for sure. One of the cool stories I kind of, you know, I know we had a lot of turnover and, and it was really cool to hear, um, you know, Zane 
Yeah. Uh, one of our managers talk about just, I need to build this core team. I need, I need this group of people that are, you know, really like being here and are committed to what we want to do and know that we're going to take care of them in the long run. Um, and it's been cool, like to hear him say, I need to do that. And to say that actually build up where, um, and, and could you talk, you've seen that more firsthand. I've just heard him talk about it, but um, yeah. can you elaborate on that with the people side? Absolutely. And, and I'm glad you brought up Zane. He's a great example. Um, Zane started off, uh, as a warehouse worker in West Decatur. Uh, he transitioned into an assistant manager, uh, moving to Cheyenne, Wyoming. He moved into a manager role, going to North Dakota and then going to uh, Oklahoma. And then from there, he kind of landed in uh, West Texas um, as a warehouse manager to open up that location, which was desperately needed and has transitioned into an ops manager for that whole region. Um, but that's kind of our MO. We like to get, we, we kind of like to get a core group of guys and or girls and build a, a foundation of a team and build around them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he certainly has been that anchor out there. Um, uh, and so we've been able to recruit um, some good people, uh, but it's certainly been helpful to, to have him in place and a couple of other people in place to, to help not only bring people in, but make sure that they actually stick around. Yeah. Yeah. Retention's tough. I mean, especially in the oil field right now, things are busy and uh, it's just building a, a core team. And, and I want to even touch on culture. I mean, as a company, we have the best culture uh, in the industry, in my opinion. I mean, I've, I've worked for other companies throughout the oil field and uh, culture is huge, right? So it, and it's, yeah. and it starts at the, at the top, um, which our president, even this, you know, the folks up in Canada, uh, the mothership, we call it. Um, yeah, we we have a good culture. Our retention at AES is huge, which I'm super proud of. Absolutely, and I'm I'm a living example of that. Um, our culture has been consistent uh, from the time I started till today. Um, you know, we're not really uh, we our our management team is not much of micromanagers. We like to get people that we trust and rely on. Mm-hmm. Let them do their job. Right. And and trust our people and um, and give them the, the support that they need to do what they have to do. And that has done wonders for us. Right. So. Well, I kind of give credit to uh, Jim and Catherine Sherman that ran FMI, because I know when I came into the States, they were still running FMI. And uh, it was like, you know, here's your role. Here, here's your job. But you have you wear many hats. Yep. I'm not going to micromanage you, but I'm going to I'm going to compensate you well. But I want nothing but the best. And I think that we've built on that through the years. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so Jim and Catherine, they had very high expectations for their people. Yeah, uh, you're right. They compensated you well, but they expected everything out of you. Uh, so um, as long as you were willing and able to perform uh, you always had a, a position with them and they took care, very good care of you from beginning to end. For right. sure. For yeah, sure. exactly. Yep. Um, one thing I did want to touch on is, uh, our safety culture. Um, how, I mean, that's obviously extremely important. Um, it's the number one sort of focal point, uh, for everything that we do. And so at a warehouse level, um, how is it, uh, not necessarily managed, but, how much emphasis and, and what kind of systems are in place to make sure that all our warehouse workers are, you know, that are running around forklifts and mixing mud and the chemicals and stuff like that. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah. So every region has their uh, regional safety coordinator there. Um, and because our current location is so large, we actually have an on-site safety coordinator 
to make sure that all the parts are moving in the right direction. Um, you know, every location, anybody who handles a forklift, they're certified to work on that specific forklift. Uh, we have ongoing training uh, monthly uh, that we maintain. Um, we have a we have a great presence here in 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 Houston uh, to make sure that everybody is following in line and that we're staying up to date on any changes that occur in the industry, mm-hmm. um, so that we don't fall behind. But but yeah, we we certainly have a huge emphasis on safety and um, and we certainly don't take that lightly. Very cool. Yeah, I thought it was. It's been neat. I mean, even looking at the Kermit expansion, a lot of of hearing you talk about how we're going to improve the traffic flow, not only so there would be fewer trucks on location at any given time, um, but just how much of the whole layout got totally shifted around to -hmm. enhance that. Yeah. So it'd be great to have a visual right now. And I know we don't, but um, right now in Kermit, um, you know, the way things used to be is all of our truck traffic went in one way, came out the same exact way. And you know, whether it be trucks coming in to pick up product or whether it be co- trucks coming in to drop off product, it was kind of, a, it was kind of a, a mess. You had everybody kind of running into each other, not literally, but yeah. uh, just kind of trying to figure out how to maneuver around the yard just because we were getting so cluttered, uh, which is part of the reason why we had our expansion out there. Um, but going forward, uh, we are on the verge of kicking off our new uh, flow of traffic. Um, we're going to be able to have all trucks go into their certain entrances and have all trucks have one common exit. So, nice. um, and also with the help of marketing, uh, we have some pretty awesome signage coming in. Um, that's going to be able to spell out where everybody needs to go, you know? So if you're there to pick up material, you go here. If you go to, to pick up mud, you're going to go here. If you're, gonna, if you're here to return product, you're going to go there. If you're going to wow. go and pick up bulk product. You're going to go on this side. So it's going to be a lot easier. Um, to uh to maneuver around the yard and keep things a lot more organized uh one of the also also one of the big things that we're doing is uh we're going to be able to implement some automation uh into our process so on our bulk terminal side um what we're doing is uh we're we're putting in some uh some kiosk that will allow the drivers when they come into location to stay in their truck be able to punch in their PO number into a uh, a keypad. It'll print out a ticket that w- in which they'll hand over to our uh, bulk plant operators. The they'll get loaded with the bulk um, as per their ticket. They'll come out uh, after getting loaded, uh, re-enter their PO number, and it'll automatically print out a bill of laden hmm. that they will be able to get. Um, and it'll also be distributed to the engineer, to the account manager, to the admin, so that instantaneous everybody is is getting the paperwork that they need so uh the whole point is to keep the driver in their truck and keep them going Mm. uh anytime you have a driver who gets out of their truck and has to go talk to somebody um it just delays the process right so that has been a huge uh that will be a huge addition that we're getting ready to implement uh probably in the next month or so that's so cool i mean i I didn't that's the first time i've heard of it but you know obviously with the way the oil field's going you know the big buzzwords you know ai automation digitalization uh at the end of the day it's all about just driving efficiency and 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 operators and service companies it's all about real-time data because time is money right uh so it's cool that to see us as a company uh, you know, taking the initiative to make that happen. Uh, and of course, for our customers at the end of the day, it's going to help everybody. So 
uh, huge props to you guys for j- jumping on that train. That's pretty cool. Yeah, shout out to our IT department. Uh, they definitely, uh, you know, helped us out uh, to get that uh, rolled out. And it's, it's been a work in progress. But again, we're on the verge of, uh, of kicking it off. Awesome. Well, a lot of cool things to look forward to, Nate. That's, yeah. that's awesome. Uh, Matt, you got anything else, bud? One last really important question. Do you believe that any competent operations manager needs to be able to fly a drone as well as you do? <laughs> I think it's definitely a plus. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. yeah, I've been very fortunate to, uh, to be given the task to, uh, to get aerial photos uh, throughout the company of all of our locations. So uh, from the Northeast to Oklahoma to South Texas to West Texas, uh, we got some great aerial photos with our drone. Uh, like to thank Mr. Baxter for giving me that role. Uh, <laughs> nice. I've, I've even been able to upgrade from uh, from uh, my first Mavic Pro to Mavic Pro Two. Oh, um, so uh, anyway, it's, it's been it's been great. Um, it's been very helpful during our meetings uh, to kind of plan out our expansion. But to be able to have a bird's eye view of what's going on. Uh, in real time is just been a game changer. No kidding. Are these, uh, was that for internal or, cause I know I, I saw some stuff on LinkedIn with, with some drone footage. Is that more for internal work or is there somewhere that people can go to on YouTube to check that out? Or? So I think our next, uh, our next move is to do more YouTube work with the drone. Um, we've been able to figure out some of the functions that, uh, we were unaware of when we first got it. So as we, yeah. as I do more and more of these things, I'm able to, to learn more and more. So, um, so right now everything is used internally to just kind of help us get an idea of what the yard looks like. And certainly Matt can speak to it, but for, on, on, from a marketing perspective, I know they've taken advantage of some of those photos as well. Yeah, yeah we'll qualify that. So the, we have that video on, on the whole Kermit expansion, summarizing yep. everything we've done, which we stole lots of your drone footage for. Um, and then we started giving him grief and he sort of became from a, you know, engineering design overhead <laughs> shots to fancy angles and flyovers and all this. Yeah. And um, he's getting quite full of himself and his capabilities, but um, <laughs> it's making for some pretty good content that we will gladly accept. Yeah. Matt, Matt is not shy to get pointers on what uh, perspective he wants it from. So uh, it's a very kind way to put it. It is. It's, it's very constructive criticism. Nice. Well, look, uh, you know, from my standpoint and from the sales side, we certainly appreciate all the support that your team offers for us. Um, if anyone out there has any questions related to mud plants, hit us up at the Flowline Podcast at aesfluids.com. We'll put the link in the show notes. Nate, is there anything else uh, from the mud plant world that you want the listeners to know about? No, no. I just, uh, you know, those guys do a lot of hard work. Um, they're kind of in the background. They don't always get the glory, uh, but we're certainly there to provide service. Uh, and we're happy doing it. So thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks, Nate. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.